I'm gonna wrap up this meet a we sermon series that we've been doing. And has anybody enjoyed this? Man, just the power of community, the power of groups, the power of the church. I'm gonna wrap this up today, but really this coming Wednesday night will be our final wrap as we have a great uh, night of worship. Uh, you don't wanna miss it. Majesty Rose from Maverick City Music will be here. It'll be an incredible night. Pretty sure this place is gonna be packed. So you wanna come early, get a seat, and uh, it'll, it'll just be a great time. But today, the final Sunday message in this series, Me to We, moving our lives from a singular focus, a me focus, to an outward focus, to an others focus. We're just better together, right? We're just better together. Uh, I read a story of a young lady by the name of Linda that uh, was on a trek from Alberta up to the Yukon in Canada and was making her way up into an area where only four-wheel drives ordinarily went, but she was determined. She wanted to make this trek to an area called Whitehorse, and so uh, she started her journey. She ended up at the end of the first day. She stopped, found a little cabin, and uh, prepared to stay there the night, asked for a wake-up call at 5 a.m. in the morning, and uh, the lady, the clerk kind of looked at her funny. She didn't really know what the look was for until she woke up at 5 a.m. in the morning and realized how fog had come in and it was uh, impossible to drive. So she went down to the cafe to get some breakfast and while she was there, there were two truckers that were there and uh, since they were the only ones in the cafe, they invited her to join them for breakfast. So she did and they asked her, where are you headed? She said, I'm headed to Whitehorse. And they looked outside, they said, in that Honda Civic? She says, yes. Yeah. No, that, that's for four-wheel drives. That's, no, it's treacherous. It's rugged. It's uh, too much fog. It's, no, 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 that's a very dangerous pass. You don't need to do that. She said, well, I'm determined. I'm going to do it. Uh, so they said, well, I guess we're just going to have to hug you. She said, don't you lay a hand on me. And they said, no, 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 that's not what we mean. I said, we'll hug you. I said, I'll put my truck in front of you. You follow me, and my buddy will put his truck behind, and we'll safely get you through this pass to Whitehorse. And she said, okay. And that's exactly what she did. Through the fog, she followed those two taillights on the uh, back end of that truck, knowing that she was secure with somebody following along behind. When I read that story, I thought the body of Christ is a whole lot like that. There are a lot of times in life, seasons in life, and circumstances in life where it's real foggy. And it's a little rough and it's a little rugged and we may not know whether we can get through there, but if we just have somebody to hug us, uh, somebody who'll go before us and somebody who'll come along behind us, then we can get there safely. And that's what the church does. That's what small groups do. That's what a ministry group, that's being part of a tribe, being part of a group, being part of, a, call it a clique, being part of somebody who understands your season of life and somebody that can help get you to the next season. Everybody needs a hug every now and then, right? Okay, that's kind of cheesy little plug there, but uh, we need people who have gone before and we need people who come along behind so we can take what we learned from those who have been there and pass it on to those who haven't yet. That's what the church is all about. So here over the next few minutes, I want to take a minute and I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture that I feel like the Lord really put on my heart and then uh, and, and share with you where we are in these last days uh, as I see it, and then why we need the church, why we need this thing called church, why we need groups, why we need community. 
and uh, I'll show you how it all plays together. I'm gonna start with Romans chapter one, verse number 16. So if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along with me. Uh, if you've got your Bible app or your scripture on, on your phone, or you can follow along here on uh, the screens. Romans chapter one, verse number 16. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. How many that have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and because of that, you know you're saved? I was, it should have been a few more hands than that. It's not a trick question. You believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and you know you're saved. Let me see your hand. Okay. Otherwise, we're gonna have a really good altar call here in just a minute. It's amazing how often people just don't wanna participate in this hand-raising thing. Uh, Promise, no trick questions today. Uh, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, one of the signs of the end times is that this gospel will be preached in all the earth, right? Read Matthew 24 and 25. There is a, a list of things that will happen in the end times. Uh, the gospel being preached across this earth is one of those things. And Elon Musk and uh, SpaceX, Starlink, they have just launched this year alone 900 satellites into space. Just this last couple of weeks, 88 uh, satellites were launched into uh, space, and they are continually uh, expanding their reach to provide internet uh, capability to the entire known world, to the entire populated world in this year of 2021. That's their goal. Now, we used to talk about the possibility of the gospel being preached through missions around the world and the fact that there were missionaries or boots on the ground at places all across the land. But with internet capability, the possibility is not really, it's not far-fetched anymore. It's not uh, maybe if or when. It's now, it's on us this year. The ability for people to have access to internet and to be able to have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ is upon us. Then we go on to verse number 18, and it says, the wrath of God is being revealed. Everybody say, being revealed. Being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness, wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now, God's wrath is being revealed a little bit at a time. Now, back in the day, in Noah's day, we understand God's wrath who came, and he said, you know, I'm just sick and tired of these people, and he gave everybody a chance, but then flooded the earth, wiped everybody off except for Noah's family. Now, today, the wrath of God, now, listen, I understand some of you are thinking, wait, is this a message on the wrath of God or community and church? Both, both. I just knew I couldn't get you here if I advertised when I'm talking about the wrath of God. Nobody would show up. Everybody just wants to hear about grace and love and mercy, and that's all wonderful. But I'm gonna tell you about the wrath of God today. But the wrath of God is a little bit different, but just before some of you start getting freaked out. The wrath of God was more proactive in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the wrath of God is really more reactive. It's more his absence allowing us 
to follow our own way, do our own thing. And we're gonna see that as a progression, a downward spiral progression of mankind because God has chosen not to step in and wipe us off the face of the earth because he's kind, because he's good. He is, he is for, long-suffering and forbearing. And so he's given us plenty of opportunity. Why? Because he wants everybody to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So his wrath is more uh, expressed in the fact that, okay, I'll let you have your way. I'll let you do what you want. I'll let you follow your own path. And I'm gonna give you time to turn it around and come back to me. So we don't see his wrath in him stepping in and breathing hellfire and brimstone and you know, destroying a city like Sodom and Gomorrah. No, his wrath is more of his absence. But that's kindness. We're gonna get to that in just a minute. Look at this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness, wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's, notice this, his invisible qualities, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. That almost seems like a contradiction. How are invisible qualities clearly seen? Because God has made his invisible qualities, his divine nature, his eternal power, he's made it known to us to where we see it. We see it in the wind. We see it in the sun. We see it in the moon. We see it in the stars. We see it in the beautiful mountains. We see it in people's eyes. We see it in this beautiful collection of human beings right here. We see God's divine power in humankind, in human beings. We see it in nature. We see it in the flowers. We see it in the trees and we see it in the animals. We see it. It's in his invisible nature, but it's engrafted into every part of our society. You can't see all this beautiful creation and not have something inside of you that says there has to be a creator. God's made it plain. For since creation of the world, his invisible qualities, eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so people are without excuse. So this really answers the question, what about the people that nobody ever preached the gospel to? They've seen it. They know God exists because God's made it plain to them through his creation. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Now I want you to notice this. Their thinking became futile, because I'm going to come back to the way we think and the way people's minds process here in just a little bit. Their thinking became futile. That's the first thing that happens, because they thought wrong, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Once you start thinking wrong, you start believing the wrong things, foolish hearts become darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Pretty sure the second commandment, Exodus 20, verse number four, says don't do that. Make no graven image. No other object. Don't worship anything else except me. But this is what people who claim to be wise but became fools. How many of you notice people that uh, it seems like the more educated they get, the more stupid they become? Sorry for those of you that have all these degrees like Dr. Neasy down there, but people that don't know Jesus, I'm talking about. It's like the, the, the smarter they are, the more foolish they are. It's like, how, how can that come from your mouth? 
You've, you've got a degree. I don't get it. Uh, but here's what happens. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him or gave thanks to him. Their thinking became futile. Their hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Now, you go down to verse number 24. It says, therefore, and here becomes the first step of a downward spiral when God allows us to do it our way. I want you to notice this. There's like three steps here in this passage. When God says, okay, I'm not gonna step in. I'm not gonna wipe you off the face of the earth. I'm gonna give you time to turn around. When he gives us time and our thinking becomes futile and we start thinking we can live our lives apart from God's truth. We start believing that we can manage our own lives by our own truth. Don't you hate it when people say, well, that's my truth. Like, like you can have a truth, then I can have a truth. My truth, your truth. No, there is just the truth. Anyway, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Now in this case, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and the lie is that they could live independent of God's truth. And the truth is, is that as God begins to reveal himself to us, he reveals himself through creation, but our job is not to worship creation, but to worship the creator. But when we start believing the lie that the creation is the God, that we are the gods, that trees and plants and animals are the God, and we start worshiping the wrong thing, we go deeper and deeper into a regression, and man turns into this form of humanism. But God said, don't worship the creation, worship the creator. The height of stupidity is to worship creation. Worship the creator. Even God said in, in the first commandment, have no other gods before me. Now there's a fine line, especially young people, young adults, listen to me. Because you're the ones that are getting uh, this humanistic viewpoint crammed down your throats more than anybody else. There's a fine line between protecting the environment and endangered species and worshiping them. There's a fine line. There's a fine line between protecting our environment. Yes, we should protect our environment, but there's a reason why the term has been changed from global warming to climate change. Why? Because the globe was warming, then the globe started cooling. Oh, wait, what happened? Well, let's call it climate change. And it will continue to warm and it will continue to cool. And it will continue to warm and it will That's what's been happening for all these years. I'm sorry. But it ties in. Listen, all of this crazy thinking ties in to what the word of God teaches us about futile thinking. Thinking that we can be gods ourselves, That we know better. That, that science is more... Uh, perfect than God is. Science should only affirm and approve what God's word already says. And if you study it enough, it will. Not listen to these hacks out there. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I gotta, I gotta move on, I gotta move on. Okay, here, verse number 26. Here's the second step of this regression when God says, okay, I'm gonna give you more time. And man does it their own way. They go from 
sinful desires to verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. This was the second step. Sinful desires, shameful lust. I'll come back to these in a minute. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God or to retain what God's word said, and this is where America is. What happened? When did this downward spiral begin in America when we did not regard the knowledge of God. When we do that, when we say we don't want the Ten Commandments in our schools, we don't want the Word of God as the, as the foundation for our morality, we'll decide what is moral and what is right and wrong. When we decide to exchange God's truth for our truth, we started down this sinful desire, shameful lust, to this God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not be done. Sinful desires, shameful lust, depraved mind. What happens after that? Then after that, verse 29 says, they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Wickedness is what's going on everywhere around the world, but even right now in, in Afghanistan, they find you with a Bible app on your phone, they kill you. Christians are being forced and churches are being forced underground. Evil, evil all around. There are blood farms, human farms for blood smuggling across the world where men and women are kidnapped and chained and their blood drained from their bodies and sold on the black market. Evil, that's just pure evil. Evil, the, the, the prostitution, the human slaves. You know, we argue a lot around here about slavery in America. The fact there's 35 to 45 million modern slaves today Children that are exploited in, in forced labor and sex trade, 99% of the sexual exploitation are women and children forced into uh, sexual uh, human trafficking and sex trade. So we've got this depravity. They're full of envy. They're full of murder. Uh, go ahead and skip past that. Go back to the scripture. Murder. 62 million children have been murdered since 1973, when America decided it's okay to kill babies, it's legal to kill babies. This blood is on our hands. Strife, deceit, malice. Go to the definition for malice. A desire to cause pain, injury, distress to another, an attack motivated by pure malice. We see gangs of people hitting the streets and, and confronting people at restaurants and at different places trying to force their ideology on somebody else. That's malice. Filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent. Insulin is just a rejection, a rebellion, uh, arrogant lack of respect for authority. We see that against our police officers. Go back to the scripture. Insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. We see parental disobedience at an all-time high across our land today. And you know why? Because we have systems that are encouraging parental disobedience. We have schools that will do everything from hand out condoms to assist in abortions without parental consent. 
encouraging parental disobedience. Some people afraid to take your children to the ER because you answer a question the wrong way and they can take your child away from you. It's happening right here in America today. There are many of your schools that your kids go to that if you as a parent want to go in and observe what's going on in your classrooms, you would not be allowed in that school. I'm just telling you, for me, if my kids were in a school and the school wouldn't let me see what's going on, I'd put them in another school. Just a thought. So they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Verse 32, and although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Let me show you the progression of God's wrath. And again, God's wrath, it's different in the New Testament than it was in the Old Testament. God's wrath is really his absence allowing us to continue down whatever path we choose. But the progression, the sinful desires, verse 24, which created a sexual revolution, which I'll talk about in just a minute. Number two, the shameful lust, verse 26, homosexual revolution. Number three, the depraved minds, insanity and nonsense. Now, if you go to number one, the sinful desires, this was the sexual revolution back in the 60s and 70s when we began to take God out of our, our schools and God out of our Uh, our courthouses, and we began to remove and exchange the truth of God, God's word, for a lie that we can govern ourselves without God's truth, what happened? Sexual revolution, 60s and 70s, which then led us right into the next progression, the shameful lust, verse 26, the homosexual revolution. Again, I don't hate anybody. I I don't have hatred for one soul except the devil. But the Bible talks about the progression. And here's what's happened in our country is we've just embraced it. Department stores and businesses across the country committed an entire month to a homosexual revolution. The Bible talked about it, that there would be the sexual revolution, then the homosexual revolution. Then it leads us to number three, the depraved minds, insanity and nonsense or what I call common sense versus nonsense. You look across the land today, and there are just so many things that, I mean, it's a head scratcher. It's like, it does not make sense. You look at some of the stuff that our uh, elected officials spend our taxpayers' time and money and effort fighting over, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, not even balancing a budget, just borrowing more money. It doesn't make any sense. But come on, pulling out of Afghanistan, we've still got 10,000 Americans plus, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Pulling out of Afghanistan, fine, but let's get our people out first. It doesn't make any sense. It just goes on, I mean, on, on and on. Paying people more money to stay at home than to go to work doesn't make any sense. Using our money to pay for Planned Parenthood to be able to kill babies doesn't make sense. Dumbing down graduation requirements just to get people graduated but not educated doesn't make sense. Gun-free zones don't make sense. How many of you know a robber that's going to say, oh, this is a gun-free zone. I better leave my gun at home. It doesn't make sense. No penalty for stealing under $1,000. Oh, you can go in there. You can steal up to $999, and we'll let you go. doesn't make any sense. These things, they incentivize bad behavior. Common sense knows that. 
I hope I'm not missing the mark here, but uh, the fact is, I'm just, I, I look at some of the things that are going on. I think it just doesn't make sense. But you know how I know it makes sense? Is because we've got depraved minds. Minds that have no moral compass. Minds that are committed to self-pleasure and self-gratification and uh, power more than following the rule because we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie that we can do it better than God can. And that's where we are today. That's why we have so much hypocrisy everywhere. I mean, it cr it's crazy. Listen, I don't care if you wear a mask and I don't care if you take the vaccine, but, but the hypocrisy is, it's insane. It doesn't make sense. But what makes sense? The Bible said it would make sense. The Bible said it would look like insanity. The Bible said there would be depraved minds because that's what happens when we try to live our lives apart from God. The worship team comes back. What's the answer? There's gotta be an answer. <laughs> yes, but let me tell you something. Yes, absolutely. But if you continue to read in Romans chapter one, and then it, it, remember this, that when the Bible was written, it didn't have chapter and verses like we have it now that was placed in there to help us find those passages and those scriptures uh, more easily. So if you continue to read from chapter one right into chapter two, the first three verses talk about not judging other people, but verse four gives us the answer. Romans 2, 4, it says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Remember, this is, are, are you not even acknowledging the fact that God's kindness, his forbearance, his patience, which is demonstrated in the fact that he hasn't wiped us off the face of the earth, that he continues to, see, listen, we are in a season where I know it's crazy. We're, we're almost like, held captive by the people with depraved minds. But God is holding off to give others a chance. And if we gotta deal with a little more inconvenience, a little bit of discomfort to give somebody else a chance to come to know Christ, I'm okay. He says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The whole point is to lead people to repentance. You see, once God steps in and says enough is enough, then th there is no opportunity for repentance. So he's giving still more opportunity for somebody to come to know Christ. And I bet every single one of us have a friend, a family, a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister that is not where they need to be. And you're praying and hoping, God, just give me just a little more time. Just give me a little more time. I know that for ourselves, for me, Lord, take me out of here. I'm fine. Let's go to heaven. I'm done with this. But there are people that still need a little more time. And God's kindness says, I'm going to give them a little more time. So that means we continue down this downward spiral watching our world disintegrate before us. But it's not out of God's judgment for us. It's his kindness that he's still allowing us another opportunity. So why do we need the church? We need this church to be able to help preach that gospel of repentance. 
We need the church to help get the message out to people. We need the church to help people believe, become, and belong. And I know you may have heard those and other churches use them as, as core values or different things, but let me just tell you how it relates to what I'm talking about today. The importance of the church, the importance of the body of Christ, the importance of a small group, the importance of a ministry group to help people believe, become, and belong. Because the problem that we read in Romans chapter one is that people believed a lie. Well, where are we gonna get the truth? From God's word. So we need to be in a place where we can hear the word of God so we can help people believe. We've gotta help people understand I have such a burden that our young people and our young adults would hear the truth that I'm willing to step into some tricky areas to be able to preach the truth because I know you're not going to hear it at school. And many won't hear it at home. So you're going to have to hear it somewhere. You're going to have to hear the truth of God's word. There was an American scientist that once visited the world famous great Nobel Prize winning physicist Neil Bohr and uh, it was in Copenhagen, Denmark and He went to his office, and when he went there, he was surprised that there was a horseshoe that was nailed to the wall above his desk. And the American scientist said to Niels Bohr, said, "Uh, I'm surprised that you've got a horseshoe. You surely don't believe in the luck of the horseshoe, do you? He said, I wouldn't believe in that nonsense. Of course not. However, I am told that the horseshoe will bring you good luck whether you believe it or not. And let me tell you something. God loves you whether you believe it or not. Somebody watching me online right now, God loves you whether you believe it or not. God has a plan for you whether you believe it or not. This Bible is true whether you believe it or not. Jesus is coming again whether you believe it or not. He's preparing a place for us whether you believe it or not. My encouragement to you is to choose to believe it, and we're going to do everything we can in this body to create a place where people can believe, but also so they can become. Become everything that God has planned for you, that every, that everything God has ordained you to accomplish here upon this earth because none of us are here just to take up space or to breathe this air and then just to pass on from life. No, we have a purpose. We have a plan that God has for our lives here. There's a problem for you to solve. There's something that you are to accomplish. Every single one of us have divine purpose. So we want to help you become what God wants you to become. But we also want you to belong. I loved one thing that Pastor Sterling said on a Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago talking about this meet a we and that the first thing that God said in Genesis that wasn't good was that man should not be alone. Meaning he intended for us to be together. For us to do this thing together so we can belong to one another. We can belong to the great family of God. There was a study that came out of Columbia University. There was a graduate student that did a study of 11 different orchestras these orchestras that play these beautiful symphonies and and he did this study to find out what the different categories, you know, the woodwinds versus the brass versus the stringed instruments versus the percussion, what they all thought of each other. And his findings he presented in this paper and he said this, he said the percussionists were viewed as insensitive, unintelligent, hard of hearing, yet fun-loving, fun-loving, fun-loving. He said that the string players were seen as arrogant, 
and uh, stuffy and unathletic. The orchestra members overwhelmingly chose loud as the primary adjective to describe the brass players. George, you could probably tell me whether this is right or not. The woodwind players seemed to be held in the highest esteem, described as quiet, meticulous, though a bit egotistical. Yeah. So... How in the world could these people have all these different opinions and perspectives of one another actually make beautiful music together? You know how? Because they bring all their prejudices, all their biases, all their their quirks and all their problems and all their issues. And what do they do? They subordinate to the conductor. And when the conductor says play, then they all play. And they make beautiful music together. And that's what the body of Christ looks like. Yes, we're all different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different talents and different abilities and different perspectives. But when we bring it all together and we say, hey, Jesus, you're in charge. And we're going to worship the creator, not creation. We're going to lift up the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Then he makes something beautiful out of all of us. Amen.